0: The title of this message is Hearing God Again, and this is the second part of last week's message, Ending the Silence of God. Last week, we looked at three out of five obstacles that keep us from hearing God. We saw that the new covenant is based on believing in and hearing the beloved Son of God. Remember from Matthew 17, um, the, the... the beautiful transfiguration of Jesus Christ and the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Hear him. Hebrews 8.10 says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. The old covenant was written on external tablets of stone, but the new covenant would be God speaking and writing on the hearts of his people. The new covenant opened to us by Jesus' blood brings us so much closer to God than the old law engraved on tablets of stone ever could. It is God's desire to speak to his people. To be a personal God, not a distant God, not a God just of letter and of information, but a personal God that speaks to us in our hearts. When he speaks, he is writing his word on our hearts and on our minds. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 2 says, you are our epistle or letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Every time the Spirit of Jesus speaks to us and we say yes, he is writing a new line or a new paragraph in our story. Our faith journey is like a letter he is writing by his Spirit. And his intent is that we would all be open letters, not closed, not closed books, but open letters known and read by all men. You are the only Bible some people will ever read. You and I. Don't be a closed book. Let people see the works and the words of Jesus written in your life. We are living, walking epistles he is still writing on. You're, you're still being written. The story's not over. Praise God. Don't be discouraged. He may have just started your, your story. You may have come to Christ in the last month or two months or a year. He's just beginning your story. Open your ears and say, Lord, speak. I'm listening. Listen, he wants us to hear his voice. And he wants to hear our voice. Remember Jacob's ladder bringing messages from heaven and, uh, to earth and from earth to heaven? I wonder if we could pull back the spiritual veil and and see our own personal ladder, lay our head on Jesus and see our own personal ladder. Would it be full of activity, full of voice, the voice of God, and our voice of prayer, or would it be silent? Listen, God wants to speak. This is not a dead religion, but it's an exciting adventure of first love. Love. For those who know him, it is ravishing and thrilling to experience and hear his voice. Jeremiah said, your voice is altogether lovely. He was ravished by the voice of God. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 8. You know that this is a type, this is a, a book of the Bible that is very much full of typology. And the picture is that the Shulamite, or the Shunammite, is the picture and type of the bride of Christ, and that Solomon is a picture of Christ. And it says that the Shulamite says this, the voice of my beloved, it's the bride saying, the voice of Jesus, behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved spoke, and he said to me, rise up, my fair one, and come away. Lo, the winter is past, and the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, and the time of singing has come. And the time of the turtle dove is heard in our land. He's, he's talking about a time of leaving winter, leaving desolation, leaving fruitlessness into a time of spring, a time of beauty, a time of fruitfulness and singing. Verse 13 says The, the fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with her tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. This is, now, this is now the groom speaking to the bride. This is the spirit of Jesus speaking to us. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. He says, oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff. He says, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. That's what Jesus is is saying through the Holy Spirit to the bride of Christ. He says, Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. You may be old and aged, and your voice doesn't sound like it did when you were young. It cracks and it creaks. And when you sing, it's off key. Jesus is saying, I want to hear your voice to me. It's lovely, it's beautiful. He wants to hear your weak prayer. When you don't know what to do, when you just a squeak, a prayer that's a cry in the night, he wants to hear your voice. He says, it's lovely. It's lovely to see you calling on me, to hear your voice. Listen to verse 15. Her brothers say, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. There's always, when there's precious first love, there's always going to be an enemy, an adversary. And here it's described as little foxes that sneak in the night and chew away. Chew away at those grapes, those tender grapes. Chew away at first love. It's time for us to catch the foxes that destroy the tender grapes of our intimacy with Jesus. Maybe the, the, the fox you need to catch is Instagram. Instagram or YouTube, or Twitter, or Facebook, and looking at shorts, or looking at your feed, and constantly being distracted, and having no time to to speak to Jesus, or to hear Jesus. The time has come to, to catch the foxes that spoil the vine of our love with Jesus. The first three obstacles from last week were, one, unbelief. And two, carelessness or lack of determination in seeking God. You know, social media can do that to you. You just have no time. Your mind is constantly fed with an algorithm that keeps you looking, keeps you searching, keeps you scrolling. And your time with God suffers. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I know what it is to struggle with that. I'm just saying it's time to catch the foxes. It's time to put some things away so we can hear his voice again. It's time to put away the country music and to put on the believing Christian music, the worship music that edifies you and builds you up in Christ. It's time to fill yourself with everything that's of Christ and of God. The third thing was disobedience. And and, uh, our our sister talked about that, how that spoke to her today. So the fourth obstacle that we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about two more. The fourth is compromise. Compromise is refusing to fully follow the instructions of the Lord. It's being partially obedient. It's Saul saying to Samuel, I, I did obey God. I, I, I killed the Amalekites and, and, I, and I did what you said. But Samuel says, well, what, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? And, and why do you have King Agag still alive? And he said, oh, but, but uh, the people wanted to keep the best of the sheep to sacrifice to the Lord. Samuel said, that's not what God told you to do. That's compromise, Saul. That's disobedience. I was at this pastor's retreat, as I said earlier, and this brother, he's not a pastor, but he just came with Pastor Shedrick um, from Louisiana, and he's on, the, he's on the prison ministry team. He's just one of those guys you want in your church. He's, he loves Jesus. He's, he's a true minister in his heart. He just doesn't have, he's not a pastor. He's ministering everywhere he goes. And and uh, this, this black brother, what a, what a beautiful brother. He's a contractor like me. He he's, uh, works in concrete. And we just had some great conversation about how God works in our, in our business and in our, in our lives. And this brother told me about a friend that he was formerly business partners with that he had to break ties with. Um, because the man was compromised. The man just, he, he made all these compromises that were worldly and they weren't according to godliness or truth. And, and in good conscience, Gerard said, I've got to walk away from this. And he walked away taking a loss, letting the man take the business, letting the man take and and he ended up, Gerard actually paid for the debt that was remaining in the business like $50,000. He took a loss. He gave up the business. Why? Because he's a man of integrity. He's a man of truth, not of compromise. He turned away from the compromise, but in love, he still wanted to reach this brother. He's like, brother, the way you're going is wrong. The compromises you're making are wrong. But the brother wouldn't listen and the brother had other businesses. He's got a, I think he's got a liquor store and Gerard was talking to him about that. And he's like, it's not right. And he said, no, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with selling liquor because my pastor, I went to my pastor and said, pastor, what do you think about me selling liquor? And his pastor said to him, well, somebody's got to sell it. If you don't sell it, somebody's going to sell it. May as well be you. Somebody's going to profit from selling the liquor. May as well be you. See, his pastor's compromised. And guess what? the man stays compromised. He justifies his sin because of the leadership over him. Gerard said, no, man, that's not the way of God. That's not the way of God. Listen. God is looking for a faithful priesthood, a priesthood of believers. That's you and me. That's in our daily lives. That's in the brass tacks. It's in in how we live our life, in work and in school and in our entertainment and everything. He's looking for a faithful priesthood. He's looking for a people that will do what's in his heart, that will hear what he's saying and do what's in his heart and in his mind. Those who continue to compromise bring upon themselves two judgments from God. Silence is the first, and separation from service to him is the second. He starts with, he just stops talking to the compromised person. And then he says, I can't have them continue to represent me. That pastor that said to that brother, it's okay, you can sell the liquor. I promise you this, a day is coming where his ministry is falling to the ground, and he won't be able to minister anymore. Because God cares about his name. He cares about those who represent him. And we represent him. Whether you're a pastor or you're a lay minister or you're a person that says, I have no ministry, you represent Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about A ministry that was compromised and a ministry that was raised up because of the compromise to be a faithful ministry, a faithful priesthood to God. We're going to talk about the ministry of Eli and the ministry of Samuel. Eli was an old man and in toward the latter days of his ministry, he let compromise in to Israel. And it says in 1 Samuel 3.1, it says, Now the boy Samuel... He was little, he was probably started ministry at three to four years old. So friend, don't ever despise the little child that comes up to the altar and is raising their hands and and just imitating mom or dad. Don't despise that. Samuel ministered before the Lord as a little boy. He ministered before Eli and the word, listen, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation it's saying that God was silent, not because he had lost his tongue, but because compromise had entered in to the priesthood. 1 Samuel 2, chapters 2 through 4, tell us about these two priesthood: one that was old and established, yet unfaithful, and another that was new and young, but being raised up to be faithful to God. In 1 Samuel two eleven and 12, it says, Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, But the child, or Samuel, ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Verse 12 says Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. That means vile, worthless sons of Belial. They did not know the Lord. And his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were priests. They ministered as far as the offerings would go and as far as standing in the tabernacle and doing the priest's duties. They were in the lineage of Aaron. But they were corrupt, they were vile, they were worthless, they didn't know God. 1 Samuel 2.13 says, And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice the priest's servant would come and he'd put in a, I'm gonna just tell you the story, he'd put in a three-pronged fork into the pot or the cauldron or the pot, the kettle and he would bring up from the the, the kettle whatever meat was in there before it was boiled while it was still raw. And it says that if any man who was bringing his offering would say, hey, let let it be boiled first. Let the fat be boiled because the law was that they weren't to eat, they were not to eat meat with fat and they were not to eat the blood. That's Leviticus chapter 3. But these priests wanted the, they wanted the meat while it was raw. And if the man said, hey, this, this offering before the Lord, I know it's lawful for you to take, to take of this offering and to eat from it. That was biblical. It was part of the law. The priests were to live off what, uh, of the sacrifices. But they were doing it unlawfully. They were doing it not according to God's way. And they were taking that meat and it, they said, if the man said, please don't do this, don't take it, wait till it's boiled, they said, give it to me now. And if you won't, we're going to take it by force. They dishonored the offering of the Lord. And they took those offerings and they ate that fat and they ate that raw meat. And they got fat off of the offerings. It says that Eli himself was a very heavy man. Eli knew what what his sons were doing. Verse 17 says, therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men abhorred or despised the offering of the Lord. But verse 18 says, but Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child wearing a linen ephod, the priest's garment. First Samuel 2.22 says, for Eli was very old. And he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So not only were they dishonoring and despising the offering of God, compromising the offering of God for their own self, for their own pleasure, but they were also sinning wickedly with women who came to worship at the tabernacle. They were sleeping with them. It says that Eli knew about this and verse 23 says, So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of all your evil doings from all the people. He knew about it. So it's common knowledge, the compromise of Hophni and Phineas, But he didn't deal with them. The way God would have him deal with this sin that had penetrated into his son's life. He should have at minimum removed them from ministry. Said, sons, you cannot be in ministry. I'm gonna go seek God and see what to do with you. But you can no longer serve the Lord. You can no longer serve the people before God. You have compromised the ministry. But he failed to do this. His correction was weak toward his sons. He was unwilling to remove them. He put his family relations and the benefits of ministry before fully obeying the voice of the Lord. And because he failed, he put his family first. Because of this compromise, the Lord rejected Eli's priesthood and raised up the child Samuel to restore the voice and the glory of God to his people. Eli's compromise didn't just affect him. Know this, parent, father, Mother, when you compromise, you affect those underneath you. Eli's overlooking his son's abuse of the offering was because he loved to eat the meat with the fat. Eli was trying to serve the God of heaven and the God of his own belly. The God of his own gluttony. This led to his sons becoming even more vile. Look at 1 Samuel 2, 29. It says, this is a man of God that came to speak to Eli. And he says, why? Speaking for God, he says, why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I've commanded in my dwelling place and honor your sons more than me? To make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Why, Eli, have you put your sons before me? Verse 30, therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father will walk before me forever. But now, thus says the Lord, far be it from me, those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Don't think that you can trick God by some Bible verse that you say God has to do this because this is what he said. God says right here, he said, I swore to you that you'd continue in your priesthood before me forever. But he says, now, be it far from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. I'm cutting off your priesthood. I spoke to you that you'd stand before me forever, but you have broken the covenant by your compromise. First Samuel 235 listen to what he says Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and my mind I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed forever Glory to God Glory to God. When the priesthood is compromised, God is already on top of it. He's already planning a a miracle birth of Samuel. He's already planning to raise up a child that he will teach to walk in his ways and to seek his glory to do what's in God's heart and God's mind. Verse Uh, Chapter 2, verse 18, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. I know I'm going backwards a little bit, but I want to make this point. When Samuel was little, he was still ministering before the Lord as a child. And Samuel, verse 26, says, Grew in stature. He grew and in favor both with the Lord and men. Listen, Samuel faithfully ministered to the Lord before he heard the voice of the Lord. If you haven't heard the voice of the Lord yet, you just keep seeking him. You just keep ministering to him. You just keep reading his word and saying, God, speak to me. I want to know you. You keep being faithful to him, and he will open your ears. First Samuel 3.10, it says, Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel finally answered, Speak for your servant hears. You know the story. First he heard the voice of the Lord and he thought it was Eli. Eli finally said, I think it's, it's the Lord. Go back and say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. But before he heard the voice of God, he was faithful to pursue and to minister to God. So don't be discouraged if you're like, I don't really feel or sense God's direction or leading in my life or understand his voice very clearly. Just keep seeking him. Just keep pursuing him. He will speak to you. He will open your ears in his timing and his way. First Samuel 3:19 to 21. So Samuel grew. This is after he hears the voice of the Lord. And it says Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Because these weren't Samuel's words, these were God's words. And verse 20 says and from all from Israel from and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as the prophet as a prophet of the Lord. Praise God. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So remember it says that the word of the Lord was rare in those days? Now the word of God is returned to Shiloh. The word of God is coming back. There's a speaking voice. Why? Because there's a faithful heart. There's a heart that's not after his own glory and his own pleasure. He's after the glory of God. And the voice of God returns to Shiloh. When unfaithful men rule in the church, God will give them space to repent. If they don't, he will raise up a new generation of people that will be faithful to hear and do what was in his heart. He will cut off the dead to establish the living. He is faithful to restore his voice to his people. He's not going to leave us in a season of just perpetual dryness and heaven is brass and we can't hear God He's going to bring his voice back. Listen, but when he restores his voice, he will restore his glory. He will restore his glory. The glory cannot return without cutting away the old compromise. So in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1, the, the word of God's already returned to Shiloh. You say, praise God, everything's wonderful. No, it wasn't wonderful. Because all those years of compromise had caused the people's heart to turn away from God. And even though Hophni and Phinehas died in one day when they were going against to fight the Philistines and and Eli heard that the ark was taken away and Eli fell off, his chair fell backwards and because he was heavy, he broke his neck and died. Because God had cut off that unfaithful ministry, he had to establish his glory. So it says in 1 Samuel 4:1, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel But now now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Listen, after the word of the Lord returned to backslidden Israel, something shocking happened. They were defeated by their their enemies. The voice of God comes back and then they're defeated by their enemies. 4,000 men died in one day and you know what they did? They said, how could we be defeated? They said, listen, this is what we'll do. We'll bring the ark of God into the camp and we'll go out and bring the ark of God to battle with us and then we won't be defeated. They trusted the ark as an instrument of power independent of God. And so God had to remove it for a season to turn their heart back to trusting in him alone. Listen, at the same time he removed the ark, he cut out the rod of Eli's compromised priesthood. The same day that the ark was taken, Eli died. God always removes internal and external rot when he restores the glory to his church. External rot can be beautiful buildings or programs that people put their trust in. External rot can be people in the church who come in and have their own agenda and refuse to yield to his spirit. If they don't repent, God will remove them. Internal rot is the compromise within our hearts which must be pruned to bring forth the fruit and the glory of Jesus Christ. It is the desire to serve our own belly to get fat from the goodness of God rather than living for his glory alone. God says that's internal rot and I need to cut it out. I as a pastor have have been convicted by the Holy Spirit of internal rot of wanting people to think I'm a great preacher and wanting to take a little bit of that glory for myself. And God said, Aaron, that glory is all for me. It's all for me. You live for my glory. You do what I say. You don't worry about the praises of men. Those praises are for me, not for you. He's been cutting internal rot away from me from the day I said yes to Jesus. And in the midst of it, he's loved me through it. He's loved me through it. I'm sure there's more internal rot he'll cut away. There's more pruning to do. Why? Because he wants to bring forth more fruit in me and more fruit in you. So when you begin to hear the voice of the Lord and he exposes compromise or internal rot in you, don't be discouraged, but rejoice. He's restoring his glory in your life and in your ministry to others. Don't be discouraged. You have this great time with God and he begins to speak to you and and expose you and it's like, oh my goodness, my flesh is so ugly. It's so discouraging. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. He's brought his voice back to bring his glory back. He's brought his voice back to bring his glory back. He's cutting away so he can use you for more of his glory. Praise God. The fifth obstacle to hearing God, the last obstacle at least for this message is dead religion. Dead religion leaves us blind and deaf to see and hear God. Listen, the voice of God is not only heard but it's seen. Jeremiah 23:18, the New American Standard says, "But who has stood in the council of the Lord that he should see and hear his word? Who has given heed to his word and listened?" Unless he opens our eyes to see and our ears to hear and understand, we remain in darkness. Without his illumination, all study about God becomes a dead and useless religion which can never give life. Do you know why you can go into a church and they study the Bible and they study books and they do all this stuff, but there's no life? Because they're dead. Because it's just the system. It's just the outward. And we're going to see here that true religion is not just the outward. It's not just the study of God's word. It's the living of it. It's related to how we relate to each other. John nine thirty nine. You know the story. This chapter, is a, this whole chapter is almost dedicated to the healing of one blind man who was blind from birth. And after he's healed... And after he's questioned by the Pharisees multiple times, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And and the man actually waxes eloquent and and speaks such great truth to them. And they say, who are you to lecture us? You were born in sins. Well, like they weren't. The religious were so shocked by this man and his boldness. And and suddenly he's walking through the crowds. and, And this man stands in front of him and says, do you believe in the Son of God? And he says, well, Lord, who is he? And he says, he who stands before you and speaks to you is he. It's like, hey, it's me. I'm the son of God. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. Listen, there was a blindness that this man had that was greater than him being physically blind from death. There was a blindness to see and hear the word of God. And Jesus did a healing that was greater than his physical healing. He opened his eyes and ears to hear and see God. Listen, listen. Listen to what the Pharisees said. And Jesus said this, verse 39, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see. Now, he's not talking about physical blindness here. I came into this world for judgment that those who do not see may see. And that those who see may be made blind. Jesus came to blind people who see? Then verse 40, then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, because you say we see, therefore your sin remains. He's saying because you think that you see, because of your pride, your sin remains. You're still spiritually blind. God illuminates the humble person, but he keeps the proud in darkness. Those who proudly think they can see are blind because they refuse to come to the cross to be cleansed from their sins. Who does God illuminate? Who does he speak to and guide in his way? I love this passage in Psalm 25, verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. Aren't you glad he teaches sinners? Just like this blind man who they thought was born in sin, that Jesus said it had nothing to do with his parents sinning or him sinning. It was for the glory of God that he's healed, that he's blind and healed. Aren't you glad that he teaches sinners in the way? Aren't you glad he speaks to sinners? But what kind of sinners does he teach? Verse 9 tells us, The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. Humble sinners... That's who he teaches. That's who he takes the the deafness and the blindness from. Humble sinners, they get washed in the blood and they begin to see and to hear his voice. But proud sinners stay filthy, blind, deaf, and unhealed. Praise God that this, this blind man experienced a greater healing because he was humble. Praise God that now he could see, not just physically, but see Jesus and see spiritually. The Pharisees, they had the external, they had the Torah, they had the law, they had all their rules. They were very fastidious, very legalistic, but they had no life. They couldn't heal anybody. They couldn't even heal themselves. But Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed. Listen, Jesus came to heal more than sick bodies. He came to heal broken hearts. I wonder if, if, if I could see into every one of your hearts in this congregation how many hearts there are that are just broken. Broken over something, broken over your sin, broken over a relationship, broken over a past hurt. Jesus came to heal broken hearts. Luke 4, 18, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted." Isn't that good news? To proclaim liberty or freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Praise God. Why are so many believers walking around with wounds then that are still open? If Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, why are so many believers still wounded, having an open wound after months or years? John 8 31 I think the key is here then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him if you abide in my word or continue in my word then you're my disciples indeed or you're my true disciples and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free so so what does it mean to abide or continue in Jesus word does it mean to read your Bible every day I don't think so even though yes of course we should read the scriptures and, and study and, 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 and come to the Lord with an open heart every day study his word but I don't think that's what he's talking about here I think that what he's saying is that it means to continue by faith saying yes Lord when he speaks that's what it means to continue in his word it's to continue with a heart that says yes Lord that is the simple obedience he's looking for and when we say, yes, Lord, his word doesn't just stay here in our, heart, in our mind. He writes it in our heart. And his word heals us and it frees us. Do you understand that? You, there's so many Christians walking around the head full of knowledge and the Holy Spirit saying, I want to write that in your heart. I want to make you a living letter. And that happens when we say, yes, Lord. I surrender to what you're saying. I will take the steps of obedience that you've told me to walk in. Not partial obedience. I'll walk in full obedience. Then the the hand of God says, hey, I can write that in your heart. I can add that to your story. I can add that to the beauty of your story. And people will open you up as a book and they'll read Jesus. They'll see Jesus. One of the obstacles that leads us to say, no, Lord, when he speaks to us, is when we guard our wounds and we refuse to forgive those who have hurt us. You remember what Jesus said on the cross to wicked men who spat on him, beat him, mocked him, and crucified him. You remember what he said. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That is the message of the cross. That is the message for the church. Our internal wounds would be quickly healed if we'd stop nursing them. If we'd stop blaming others for what they've done to us. Remember I said this last week, Esau nursed, it says that he, he nursed, he comforted himself with the thought of killing his brother in, in, in vengeance to avenge his brothers stealing the birthright, the blessing. He comforted himself. Do you know that there's believers who cannot be healed because they're comforting their wounds? They're nursing their wounds? When the Holy Spirit says, I call you to forgive that offender by my grace, they say, no, Lord. No, Lord. Then they walk around continually wounded. And Jesus wants to heal us. Every single one of us. My friends, I believe this. This, The Holy Spirit ministered this to me this morning at the altar or when we were worshiping. That the kingdom of God is where? Where did Jesus say the kingdom of God is right now? Within us. There's coming a day when Jesus will reign. His feet will come and stand on the Mount of Olives and he will reign on this earth physically. And there will be, every sickness will be healed. There will be no more death, sorrow, crying, disease, nothing. No cancer, no achy joint, no broken rib, no no kidney disease, no kidneys. There will be nothing, everything will be healed. His presence, his physical presence on earth, everyone will be healed. But for now, his kingdom's within us. It's within us. And for now, there are times where he will heal physically. And I pray for healing physically. And I've seen physical healing. And I believe we're entering a stage where we're going to see more miracles, physical healings. But friends, he doesn't always heal physically on the outward. Not until his kingdom comes. Not until his foot stands on the Mount of Olives. Will we be all completely healed physically, outwardly? But now he lives within His Spirit. And He will heal every malady, every disease, every internal wound, everything that is broken on the inside. His kingdom's on the inside. And He will heal everything on the inside. Do you believe that? I believe it. I believe it. He's done it in me. Everything I brought to him, the brokenness of my past, the divorce of my parents, the rejection, the not having a daddy, God has healed me on the inside because Jesus lives there. Praise God. And my friend, how Jesus loves you, how he wants to heal everything that's broken in you, it doesn't matter if it's been there for 30 years or 50 years or 70 years Jesus can still heal you on the inside. Isaiah 58, 4. I want to just look at this briefly. How am I doing for time? Don't worry about the time. God is speaking. Is God speaking to your hearts today? Well, he's blessing me just sharing this word of God with you. Isaiah 58, listen. Dead religion is an obstacle to hearing God. Isaiah 58, this is a people that said they were, they were eager to know God. They sought the Lord daily and they fasted. And they said, God, we're fasting and we're seeking you. Why won't you respond? Why, why, why haven't you answered us? It's, you're just silent, God, why? He said, because in the day of your fast, you're very religious, you're very fastidious to keep all those external things and follow my law. But in the day of your fast, You strike with the fist of wickedness. Your hand goes into a tight fist. You put heavy burdens and yokes on people around you. And you point with a finger of wickedness. You blame other people. Your, Your hand is doing this or it's doing this. And he says, you will not fast this day to make your voice to be heard on high. That's not the fast that I've chosen. The fast that I've chosen is to take your hand and to undo the yokes And to get under and to lift the burdens. The fast I've called you to is not to appear before me and look good on the outside and have all your biblical doctrine in line and in order and to say, I don't care though about those people that hurt me or that I hurt or these broken relationships. He says, that's not the fast I've chosen. God cares about these people around you. About relationships. And they're intertwined with a life that God has called us to. Listen to what he says. Verse four. He says, Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with a fist of wickedness. You won't fast this day to make your voice heard on high. Verse six. Is this not the fast I've chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, get under them and lift them, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? We live in a church age where everyone wants the yokes broken off them, but they're not willing to break any yokes off of their brother or sister. Verse 8, then your light. Listen, he says, if you'll begin to do this, if you'll begin to take your hands and change how they operate in your relationships, he says, then your light will break forth like the morning. Your healing will spring forth speedily. And your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear God. It'll be glory in front and glory behind. Glory all around if you'll do what God's called you to do. Then you shall call. It won't be silent. It says, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst and the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness. You know, it, it, it's, it's astonishing to me that Christians, and I myself have done this too, that we're so interested in who's right and who's wrong. We we're pointing the finger. We, we want people to agree with us. Say, aren't they wrong what they did to me? Isn't that wrong? Can, can I tell you a story what they did? And aren't they wrong? Let me point my finger. Jesus said, put away the pointing of the finger. Jesus didn't say to his father, look at those men, father. Look what they're doing to me. Get them, God! He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Listen. If you extend your soul to the hungry, verse 10, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light will dawn in the darkness and your darkness will be like the noonday. Listen, it says, if you extend your soul to the hungry. It's not talking just about sharing your food. There are people hungry for your forgiveness. There are people that are afflicted souls. They're afflicted by the guilt of what they did to you. When you forgive them from your heart, God removes your darkness and brings your healing speedily. You will cry and no longer hear silence. Silence. Then you will call and the Lord will answer and you'll cry and he'll say, Here I am. Daughter, son, I've been waiting to be able to speak to you. I'm here. He will heal you speedily and he will guide you continually. The kingdom of God's within you. His intention is to, that we walk around not broken, but healed. He came to heal the brokenhearted. Praise God. The Lord, verse 11, will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You ever feel like a, a weak, fearful, shaking? Oh, he says, I'm going to strengthen your bones. I make you able to stand and bear weight, and lift burdens off of others. You will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters don't fail. Isaiah thirty verse twenty six. Listen to this: speaking of darkness, speaking of not hearing God. It says, "Moreover, the light of the moon will be like the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be seven times." And the light, as the light of seven days in the day that the Lord, what, binds up the bruise or the broken bones of his people and heals the stroke of their wound. Many, many people in the body of Christ, they can't hear or see because they're wounded. They're walking around with wounds that should be healed, should have been healed. And God says, I want to heal them. And I'm bringing you to a place where I will heal you when you agree with me. I will heal you and the light that was dim like the moon's gonna be like the sun and the sun is gonna be seven times brighter. How many of you'd like to, one, hear God more clearly? How many of you'd like to be healed inwardly? Maybe of wounds that you've carried for a long time? Jesus said, I came to set the captives free. I came to set the captives free. I, guys, I don't want you on the, on the worship team today. We're going to just pray. We're going to come to this altar without music right now. We might, I might have you sing a song, but for right now, I want to invite you, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, I want to invite you to come up to this altar and to talk to God about what he's been talking to you. I want to invite you to come. He wants to heal us. He wants to heal the brokenness in us, and he wants to bring us to a place where We can call and he answers where the silence of God is broken, where we hear his voice so we can be a blessing to other people. Hallelujah.